Raised by wolves with canine DNA in his blood. Having trained more than 24,000 vets. Helping you and your fur babies thrive. Live in studio, it's Pet Talk Today with Will Bangura. Answering your pet behavior and training questions. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host and favorite pet behavior expert, Will Bangura. Yeah, this is the story of Famous Dog. But the dog that chases his tail will be busy. Do the dog catch a baby, do the dog catch a dog. Good Saturday morning. It's December 19th. Thanks for tuning in and letting us be part of your Saturday morning. I'm Will Bangura. You are listening to Pet Talk today on 1100 KFNX, where we take your calls and answer your pet behavior and training questions each and every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Do you have a crazy cat or an out-of-control dog that desperately needs some training and behavior help? Are you fed up with your pet just not listening? listening. Well, that's what we do here on Pet Talk today. I'm here to help you deal with all of your pet behavior problems. Now, usually we spend most of every show taking listener calls, but from time to time we also have pet industry experts that we like to interview. And in just a little bit, I'll be interviewing my special guest, Robin McFarland, who's the owner of That's My Dog, dog training company in Dubuque, Iowa. Robin specializes in the use of remote collars or electronic collars for training dogs. Robin also has a school for professional dog trainers where she teaches them in the use of remote electronic collar training. Robin also has produced two DVDs on remote electronic collar training called Just Right, a step-by-step guide to remote collar dog training, volume one and two. Those are available both on Amazon as well as being available for purchase on Robin's website, That's mydog.com. Now, I realize that there is a lot of controversy when it comes to using electronic collars with dogs. Whether you love electronic collars, hate them, or don't know anything about them, don't go anywhere. You won't want to miss my interview in just a little bit with Robin. You're going to learn some shocking information about electronic collars, and then you can decide for yourself if using an electronic collar for training your dog is right for you. Um, I'll say this. There are a lot of dog trainers, for sure, in the Phoenix area that are using electronic collars. It can be confusing. You know, on, on one hand, you've got trainers and experts saying never, ever use a shock collar on your dog. It'll ruin your dog. Then you've got other trainers and experts saying that an electronic collar is not a shock that it doesn't hurt dogs, that it just gets their attention with a light tap or a tickle sensation from the collar. Who and what are you to believe? Find out in just a little bit when Robin McFarland joins me as my guest. But right now, it's time for Pet Talk News. This out of Sydney, Australia, K9 
kangaroos can learn to communicate with humans similar to how domesticated dogs do by using their gaze to point and ask for help, researchers said in a study published on Wednesday. The study involved 11 kangaroos that lived in captivity but had not been domesticated. Ten of the 11 kangaroos intently gazed at researchers when they were unable to open a box with food, according to the report. Nine alternately looked at the human and at the container as a way of pointing or gesturing towards the object. Alan McElliott, the Irish researcher who led the study, said, We interpreted this as a deliberate form of communication, a request for help. Wild species are not really expected to behave as those kangaroo subjects did, and that's why it's surprising. The findings challenge the notion that only domesticated animals, such as dogs, horses, or pigs, communicate with humans and suggest many more animals could grasp how to convey meaning to humans. We've previously thought only domesticated animals try to ask for help with a problem, but kangaroos do it too, said co-researcher Alexandra Green from the University of Sydney. It's more likely to be a learned behavior when the environment is right. In our second story, is it okay to let your dog sleep in bed? Well, despite the fur, the twitching, and the unabashed space hogging, research has shown that approximately one half of all dog owners choose to share their bed or bedroom with their pup. Yet for something so seemingly innocuous, where a dog sleeps is a frequent source of disagreement not only within households, but in the dog community as a whole. People tend to fall on one of two sides, either You're uncomfortable with the idea of dog-human co-sleeping, or you can't imagine life any other way. Personal preference aside, is there anything truly wrong with sharing your sleeping quarters with your beloved canine? Well, the short answer is, well, not so clear. A 2017 Mayo Clinic study found having their dog sleep in their bedroom actually helps some people sleep better. Lois Cron, MD, a sleep medicine specialist at the Center for Sleep Medicine on Mayo Clinic's Arizona campus and an author of the study said, most people assume having pets in the bedroom is a disruption. She continues to say, we found that many people actually find comfort and a sense of security from sleeping with their pets. It's when your beloved pooch makes his way onto the bed that things can get dicey. The same study found that sharing a bed negatively impacted the human's quality of sleep. But according to Bradley Smith, a canine researcher who works at the Sleep Institute at Central Queensland University in Australia, the impact is measurable but relatively mild. In Smith's own research on the subject, he found that when people were asked to record their own co-sleeping experience, they reported fewer disturbances than actually occurred. I take this to mean that the benefits of co-sleeping with those that do it far outweigh the negatives, he explained. Basically, people who share their beds with their dogs get woken up more at night, but it's worth it because snuggling up to their pups makes them happy. As far as the dogs are concerned, the American Kennel Club doesn't seem too worried. Their website reads, For a well-adjusted, well-behaved dog, it's quite unlikely that sleeping in your bed or bedroom will do anything except delight your dog, comfort you, and enhance the dog-owner bond. 
But if your dog is showing signs of aggression or any other problem behavior that's being worsened by co-sleeping, you need to provide your dog with its own sleeping space while you consult with a professional trainer, a behavior consultant, or your veterinarian. So if sleeping with your pup warms the cockles of your heart and isn't causing behavioral issues, we say go for it. Just plan to wash your sheets and comfort her a lot. We need to go ahead and take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. I'm your host, Will Bangorot. You are listening to Pet Talk Today on 1100 KFNX. When we come back from the break, I'll be interviewing my special guest, Robin McFarlane, who's the owner of That's My Dog Dog Training Company in Dubuque, Iowa. Robin specializes in the use of remote collars or electronic collars for training dogs. She also has a school and teaches professional dog trainers in the use of remote electronic collar training. Stay tuned for some shocking truths about electronic collars. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Raised by wolves with canine DNA in his blood. Sharing funny tales about your four-legged fur babies. Answering questions, some even ridiculous. And taking your calls, it's Pet Talk Today with your host, Will Bangura. To have your questions answered or to comment on today's show, call the KFNX listener line at 602-277-5369. 602-277-KFNX. Those outside of Phoenix call toll-free 866-536-1100. Now, back to Pet Talk Today with your host and everyone's favorite pet behavior expert, Will Mangura. Welcome back, everybody. That's Tom Petty, Dogs on the Run, and I'm Will Bangura. You're listening to Pet Talk Today on 1100 KFNX. As promised, before we went to break, Today I'm interviewing my special guest, Robin McFarlane, who's the owner of That's My Dog Dog Training Company in Dubuque, Iowa. Robin specializes in the use of remote collars or electronic collars for training dogs. Robin also has a school and teaches professional dog trainers in the use of remote electronic collar training. Robin has also produced two DVDs on remote electronic collar training called Just Right, a step-by-step guide to remote collar training. Volume 1 and 2, and those are available both on Amazon as well as being available for purchase on Robin's website. Visit that at that'smydog.com. Robin's also on the pro staff of Dogtra, one of the major e-collar manufacturers in the world. Robin, welcome to Pet Talk today. It's an honor to have you on the show. Good morning, Bill. I'm excited to be here this morning. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. And, you know, I was... Before we went to my first break, I had uh, mentioned to the listeners that, um, you know, this can be a, a controversial topic. And what I'm hoping today is that uh, we can kind of sort out uh, the truth from the myths and uh, get a good look at really, you know, what is electronic collar training all about. But before we do that, can you share with our listeners about um, how you first got involved training dogs in general? Well, yes, because I, I think uh, 
I think it's a valuable story because uh, I, I got involved because I started out actually as a veterinary technician. Uh, so I was very interested in the, the medical aspect and helping, you know, dogs from a health standpoint. And so I was working uh, in a clinic. Actually, I, I worked in a clinic for a number of years, almost 10 years. Uh, and it was during that time that when you're the technician, you're kind of the first person in line chatting with people when they come in to the exam room and you're taking a history and so forth. So I was the person that heard about not only medical problems, but behavioral problems. Mm. And um, uh, unfortunately, I was also the person that was in the room if those behavioral problems became so out of hand that people were making end-of-life decisions for some of their dogs. And uh, that takes a toll. It takes an enormous toll on you, and it leaves a big impact. And, uh, you know, after a few years of doing that, it, it, it inspired me to start to really learn more about behavior and start to study. Um, and I, I was very fortunate that I had a, a boss at the time who allowed me to take some time off uh, and and go around and study with some professionals. And I took a course actually uh, on starting a puppy preschool because one of the things I learned early on is if you do things right from the get-go, it certainly bodes well for having a longer successful life with with your dog. And so I started teaching puppy classes back in 1994 while I was still working as a technician. Uh, and the more I did it, the more I liked it. And um, well, then I had, we won't go down the too big of a segue, but I had a big major life shift with an accident that left me in a wheelchair for a while and lots of time to think. Uh, and when I was rehabbing, I just decided I really like the behavioral aspect. And once I recuperated, I devoted everything I had to getting into training and, and you know, realized it was such a broad profession. Um, and haven't looked back since then. In 98, I launched my company and just been having a blast doing it ever since. That's a great story. And I had forgotten that you were a vet tech. So I was glad to hear that again. Um, so I, I told the listeners that you specialize in uh, remote collar, electronic uh, collar training. How long have you been training dogs with uh, remote training collars? Um, well, I started to dabble in them uh, around 99. Um, I didn't know a lot about them, and, and quite honestly, I probably held the opinion that it was a tool of last resort. Mm-hmm. Um, the more I learned, uh, the more diversified my experience was, and the more I found they were valuable in, in a number of situations. Uh, it was roughly around 2002, early 2003, that I really you know, committed to the fact that that was going to be an area of specialization. Uh, and by about 2004, I decided this is a tool that so many people misunderstand and don't know anything about it. That's when I really started to speak out and write and produce materials. And, you know, so I think that's how I got the reputation of, of specializing in it. It just became a passion that it was such a misunderstand, a misunderstood tool of, out of everything that's out there. Um, and, and that's kind of how it progressed. Thank you for that. Um, where did you first learn how to use uh, remote collars in, in training dogs? Oh, gosh. We all got to start um, somewhere, right? Pardon me? I said we all have to start somewhere. I'm just curious where you started. 
Well, I started when I bought my first Tritronics collar, actually, way back, which is a company that, that uh, is sold to uh, Garmin at this point. I think they sold a number of years ago. But I bought it and started, you know, fiddling around with it and realized I didn't know what I did, wanted to do or how to really use it. And, and the handbook, the little handbook that came with it, uh, didn't have a lot of information, so I sat there gathering dust. And then there was a mentor of mine. Uh, actually, she was in Tucson, uh, and she's since passed away, but there was a lady named Pam Green, and she was a mentor of mine at the time. And she said, come on out here, and I'm going to invite you to a workshop, and I want you to sit down and see what you what you think of that. And so I went and spent three days uh, learning out there, and that was, you know, a bit, left a pretty big impression on me. Uh, and then I kept, you know, working. I worked with a number of people early on, a uh, number of retriever trainers that are friends, that have become friends of mine. Um, and then I started buying every resource that I could, all the way back to who's considered the father of, of e-collar training, which would be Rex Carr. Uh, again, long passed away. Uh, in the early books, Jim and Phyllis Dobbs, um, Brian Mowry, there were a number of people. I just kind of dabbled with all sorts of resources to diversify my experience with it. Sure. Can you tell our listeners, and I probably should have led more with this question, but not everybody knows, you know, what a remote collar is. And uh, can you talk a little bit about what a remote collar is and how does that work? Well, a remote collar, basically you're, what you're getting is you're getting um, a piece of equipment that comes with a collar or a receiver that the dog wears. So that goes on the dog's neck. And then the remote or the transmitter, which is a handheld piece of equipment, um, you know, that you operate uh, and you control the signals that you're sending to that receiver. Now, there's different types of signals or tactile cues, if you will that the receiver will pick up. So some callers have vibration, which is very much like your cell phone. Some callers have a tone button, which is just an audible, you know, kind of a buzzing noise or ringing noise, if you will. Um, And then, of course, most all the callers have also the stimulation feature, which stimulation is where they get the scary name shock caller because when we talk about electronic signals, our brain immediately goes to something frightening when we think about electricity. But the, the stimulation feature is basically identical to what you would get on a human medical piece of equipment called a TENS unit. So you get an electrical pulse that you can transmit this signal from your from your transmitter to the remote that produces an electrical pulse in the receiver. And that's, you know, something that's, as I said, kind of the misunderstood part about this tool that we really had to teach people if you use this properly and you learn how to read your dog's body language, what you're doing is using an electronic pulse that's just um, noticeable to the dog rather than this premonition that it's like touching a electric fence or something like that and that it's a shock that's going to, you know, create a traumatic response with your dog. And that's where we get into trouble with our lack of understanding. So... so- you know, there's a lot of people out there that use the word, the term shock collar. And I guess people, you know, they want to know how is the remote collar or electronic collar not a shock? Well, 
you know, and that's something that I can tell people. I can talk about it, and I'm not sure it's going to make as mm-hmm. much sense as if they had an opportunity to actually feel one. But the problem, the reason that we got the name Shock Collar is these particular tools came on the market. Our best estimate is somewhere around the mid to late 50s. So we're talking about a piece of equipment that was invented basically 70 years ago. Now, at that time, it was equipment that was created for hunters. So if they were out, let's say you had um, a group of hounds and and you were hunting, you know, uh, and your dogs are off leash, obviously, and your dogs are half a mile in front of you, and you're supposed to be paying attention, the dogs are supposed to be paying attention to their job, what they're tracking, but now they scare up a deer and route, and they take off after the deer. Now you lose your dogs. You can't get your dogs back. So they came on the market as a way to essentially get those dogs to punish the dogs, realistically, to punish the dogs and get the dogs paying attention to them. But 70 years ago, the technology that was produced was most definitely a shock. It was one button and it was Shazam. And essentially, if the dogs didn't listen, there was a significant consequence to that. And unfortunately, that particular name has stuck with us for 70 years, but I think that our listeners, your listeners today can recognize that if you look at what the early cell phones were, for instance, and we think back to the 80s and we were carrying around something that was as big as a bowling ball and that only had the function of placing a call and it was even challenging to do so, we can see that technology has advanced over the decades and now we're carrying around mini processing computers in our back pocket. The same thing has happened in the remote electronic training collar world is over 70 years we have created such finesse that we're no longer using the collar as a last resort punishment to stop a dog in its tracks. We're now using very subtle variety of cues as I explained, tones, vibration, e-stem. We're using a variety of tactile cues to communicate at a very finesse level with the dogs a whole variety of functions. So you know, we just haven't been able to get rid of being drugged down by that initial name of shock collar, unfortunately. Yeah, and I want to talk more about that and the differences between the old collars um, and, and the collars that we have today. But we're going to have to take a, a quick break here uh, for news. I'm your host, Will Bangura. You are listening to Pet Talk Today on 1100 KFNX where we are talking with remote collar expert Robin McFarlane about electronic collars for trainee dogs. It's almost 9.30, and we're going to take that quick break for news. Find out more about electronic collars, training dogs. Find out if that is a tool that's right for you when we come back. Raised by wolves with canine DNA in his blood. Sharing funny tales about your four-legged fur babies. Answering questions, some even ridiculous. And taking your calls, it's Pet Talk Today with your host, Will Bangura. To have your questions answered or to comment on today's show, call the KFNX listener line at 602-277-5369. 602-277-KFNX. Those outside of Phoenix call toll-free, 866-536-1100. Now, back to Pet Talk Today with your host and everyone's favorite pet behavior expert, Will Mangura. When you book our farm... You're out there with me. It's good to be 
Welcome back, everybody. I'm Will Bangura. That's Tom Petty. It's good to be king. Right now, you're listening to Pet Talk today on 1100 KFNX. We are here each and every Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Thanks for staying with us. Today, we're discussing a very controversial topic with my guest, Robin McFarlane, and that's the use of electronic collars and training dogs. Whether you hate them, you love them, or you don't know much about electronic collars, Robin is here to give us the facts about today's modern remote training collars. Welcome back, uh, Robin. Before we went to break, we were discussing um, how the evolution of the remote collar or the evolution of the electronic collar has changed where uh, years ago uh, there was one setting and I'd like to call it uh, hot as heck, okay? It was painful um, and, and that's why a lot of people uh, when they think about today's remote collars or electronic collars um, still use that word shock collar because they, you know, let's be honest and, and I know you would be, back then they hurt, they hurt. But today they're different. Can you talk about, because I know that you're on the pro staff of Dogtra, and Dogtra is a, a big collar manufacturer. Talk a little bit about what's different really about today's modern electronic collars um, and, 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 you know, how can we be sure? Because everybody's concerned. I don't want to hurt my dog. How can we be sure that they're not going to hurt their dog? Well, you know, and the first thing I can tell you as far as the technology itself, um, for anybody that knows a little bit about electricity, the it's amperage that is the dangerous component to electricity. So when you think about a shock, like when you touch an outlet or something in your wall and you think about the potential for physical harm, you're talking about something that has enough amperage to actually cause skin damage. Uh, these digital digital components to the remote collar aren't they don't produce any amperage it's so minuscule it's barely measurable so physically they cannot burn they cannot cause tissue damage by activating the electrical stimulus from these things it's very much like i had mentioned previously uh very much like a TENS unit, if you've ever had one in a physical therapist or a chiropractor's office, you know, in a TENS unit, you and I can purchase those, uh, you know, you can, you can Google it and you can purchase it off Amazon or wherever. It's completely safe. You're not going to burn yourself or harm your skin or harm your, you know, people say, oh, you can do heart damage and all these crazy things, all these crazy myths about remote collars. It just doesn't work that way. The electricity does not go through your body. It's not that strong. So you can't create any kind of damage. And even the first collars, even though they were a strong zap, like we said, very mm-hmm. uncomfortable, they didn't have amperage that could damage the dog. Something like that would never make it to market. It's as simple as that. So so they're safe from that physical standpoint. As far as the evolution and what has involved is finesse to control the sensation. So initially when they came out, you can imagine, I mean, this was a fairly crude piece of equipment. The collar itself was big. They weighed, uh, I think, close to 12 ounces. And now we're looking at things that are about 3.5 ounces. They're very small. Um, they have uh, the ability to control and adjust the sensation from the handheld remote. And that wasn't the case 70 years ago either. The level of stimulation was controlled by a plug that you inserted into the collar 
that the dog was wearing and then basically had one button to push on the remote. So you didn't have any ability to turn up, to turn down, to do any kind of adjustment. Now we have things. So instead of in that that old model collar was basically one level and it was very, very hot, now you have units where they have a digital readout on many of them and you're looking at being able to go from zero, which is, no level of electrical stimulation present to levels up to 100 or 127, which sounds very, very high, but it's literally just a numbering system. I can tell you that those collars, I can hold them in my hand and depress the button. And while it's not comfortable, I can hold it and it's not particularly um disconcerting to me either. So the ability to use any of those numbers in between, it's like the dial on a radio. You can go from zero up to whatever your radio goes, and it very gradually changes the level of tactile feeling that you're feeling. So we have a lot more finesse than we had. And the whole point of having that finesse is that the user has to become educated, and that's how we prevent problems from happening. The user has to become educated to figure out how do I acknowledge what my dog can feel, and then once he can feel this sensation, how do I use this tactile cue to associate behaviors with it? So, for instance, once I figure out what a dog can feel, one of the first behaviors I want him to to figure out to do is move back to me so I can build a recall very quickly based on using a tactile cue. So when, you know, because people are going to wonder this, you know, um, if they were to, to get an electronic collar, remote training collar, how would they know what level of stimulation to train with? Well, you don't know off the bat. And and here's the thing, that that's why it takes education. And so what I would tell anybody listening today is your absolute best bet, if you have not used a remote collar before and you're interested in it, your best bet is to work with a professional that's experienced in the use of remote collars. Don't go to a trainer that says, well, I very rarely use them because they don't know a heck of a lot more than you do, quite honestly. Go to a trainer that uses them routinely, that knows what they're doing, and they're going to guide you. Now, if there are listeners there that don't have someone in their area, then you need to get some educational materials, and you need to review it and study it before you start using this thing with your dog. Um, and it's and I'm not trying to scare people, but here's the thought process that I that I equate this to. I could run out and buy all the most expensive and best um, tools at Napa Auto Parts or the auto store and try to fix the engine in my car. But if I don't have a clue what I'm doing and I don't educate myself how to do it or get somebody to guide me, all I'm doing is tinkering and nobody's going to be surprised if I damage my car's engine by tinkering and not knowing what I'm doing. And if I did that, they wouldn't blame the tools. They would blame me for not having an education. So people have got to become educated about this. And there certainly are resources out there. If you don't have a pro in your area, there are resources. And, you know, you mentioned at the beginning of your show, I've produced some of those. And I actually have a number of new 
things on the market. Uh, so there are DVDs and there are books and there are resources to learn how to use this thing. And one of the primary things that they teach people is when you start pushing buttons on this thing, what are you, how are you learning that your dog is feeling it? And it's going to teach you to look for certain cues. Um, and some of the behaviors I tell people, you know, there are obvious cues and obvious cues would be your dog would scratch at the collar. An obvious cue would be what we call an ear flick. Those are obvious. Um, you know you're at a level that the dog absolutely feels at that point. Um, but I try to look for more subtle cues. So if I'm letting a dog, if I have a dog on a long line and he's sniffing the grass, I look for him simply to lift his head up off the grass. He was sniffing, he lifts his head up. That's acknowledgement to me that he felt something unusual. And now I know when he feels that, now I can start teaching him how to respond to it. So those are some of the things that we look at. Sometimes there's a slight change uh, in a breathing pattern where they'll go from panting to a closed mouth. So what's happening is you're simply cre- you're, you're using a level that is interrupting the dog's thought process. And so you have to know how to watch for that. That's not intuitive if you've never been taught how to pay attention to that. So basically what I'm hearing from you is that when it comes to using this tool, it's a really good tool, but it sounds like you don't advocate your average dog owner just going to the store and picking one up and then trying to figure out how to use it on its own. Not without education. I don't, you know, and I'm not going to say that somebody couldn't stumble across it and do it correctly. But again, I, I just think that unfortunately when people, here's the problem. I think people buy it as a last resort. They buy it out of frustration. If they just go to the pet store and they look for a collar, they're buying it oftentimes out of frustration. And what they're, they're at a point mentally where they think, well, my dog does A, B, C, and D and I'm really sick of it and I'm going to stop that. Though when it's applied with that thought process, they're going to turn it up too high. They're going to get uh, situations where the dog startles or maybe the dog yelps or something like that because it's a complete surprise to the dog when you turn it up too high and he doesn't know what just happened. And that's how the tool gets a bad name. And that's how it hurts the reputation of everything that's actually possible with this. It closes down communication between myself and people that are interested in this because they've seen it used inappropriate like that. So I really encourage people to get educated before they start pushing buttons and training their dog. We're going to have to take a a quick break here uh, coming up. But when we come back, I want to kind of expand more on um, the appropriate use and how you teach people uh, to use the remote training collar because – um, as we were talking about, I, I think most people think it's just a tool to punish and stop a behavior rather than teaching with it. And, and for a lot of people, they can't grasp that. And maybe you can help uh, our listeners understand how do you teach a behavior with that other than uh, just stopping a behavior. I'm your host, Will Bangura. You are listening to Pet Talk today on 1100 KFNX where we are talking with remote collar expert Robin McFarlane about electronic collars for training dogs. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, find out more about electronic collars for training dogs, and if it's a tool that's right for your dog. When we come back, much, much more with Robin McFarlane. Robin McFarlane. 
Raised by Wolves with Canine DNA in his blood. Sharing funny tales about your four-legged fur babies. Answering questions, some even ridiculous. And taking your calls. It's Pet Talk Today with your host, Will Bangura. To have your questions answered or to comment on today's show, call the KFNX listener line at 602-277-5369. 602-277-KFNX. Those outside of Phoenix call toll-free 866-536-1100. Now, back to Pet Talk Today with your host and everyone's favorite pet behavior expert, Will Mangura. That's not good. How come the dog didn't bark? I'm Will Bangura. You're listening to Pet Talk Today on 1100 KFNX. Thanks for staying with us. Today we're discussing a very controversial topic with my guest, Robin McFarlane, and that's the use of electronic collars in training dogs. Whether you hate them, you love them, or don't know much about electronic collars, Robin's here to give us the facts about today's modern remote training collars. And before we went to break, um, we were talking about how to determine the right level to use on a remote training collar on the dog. And you were talking about when the dog begins to feel the sensation of the collar, we're going to see some very, very little little signs like the dog's mouth might close when it feels it. If its nose was down sniffing, it might bring its head up. Little things. And I think what's interesting is that most people expect that, hey, this is a tool that the only way it can be used is as a bigger stick, as a punisher. They expect it to hurt the dog. Um, so <clears throat> can you talk to us a little bit about, um, for a lot of people, it just doesn't make sense. They can understand how you could use an electronic collar to stop a behavior. But when we talk about using it to teach a behavior, help our listeners understand what you mean by that, what we mean by that, and and how does that work? Well, um, it's a good question, Bill, because I think, and let me point out that I think one of the challenges uh, that a lot of people have to wrap their head around how could you teach with it is because the use of invisible fencing is, uh, you know, electronic fencing is so prevalent and, and people are familiar with that concept. And that's a different product and it's way different levels. And when dogs are feeling that sensation, it's absolutely a stop, don't go there. And I think people equate that type of sensation with what we're talking about of a remote collar. And they are dramatically different, dramatically different. We have much, much lower levels that we're using on remote collars. We have a lot more finesse. Um, so essentially what we're doing, once we figure out that the dog can just feel that sensation, I would say if, if, if the listeners remember as children, if they ever played that game of hot and cold, that's essentially what we're doing with the dog. We're playing a game of hot and cold. So if 
if my viewers don't know or the listeners don't know what we're talking about, when you're a kid and you play this game where you're blindfolded and you're trying to navigate your way to the target or to a goal and whoever's playing along in the game is giving you feedback and they're either telling you you're hot, meaning you're moving in the right direction, or you're cold, meaning you're going the wrong direction. So as you're moving toward the target, they're saying you're hot, you're getting hotter, you're getting hotter, you're getting hotter. And as you divert and you get off course, they go, you're cold, you're cold, you're cold. And of course, when your helpers tell you you're cold, you reorient yourself to the target. So imagine a dog and we have the dog. We First of all, let me point out, we always start remote collar training on leash. Always, always, always because you have to have a way to essentially help the dog. Now, we have figured out a level that he can feel, and if the goal is that the dog moves to me, I'm the target. And when I stimulate or activate that button, I push the button, the dog is feeling a sensation, and when I take my finger off the button, the sensation is going away. So I can indicate to the dog if he's moving toward me, he feels nothing. As soon as he diverts, because maybe he's going to go chase the squirrel, I activate the collar, he feels it, I pull a little bit on that leash, he starts to move toward me, I take my finger off the button. We're playing the game of hot and cold with our dogs. It's a pressure on, pressure off type of application that can teach the dog how to respond to the sensation, how do they basically make the weird sensation turn off by moving toward me. Once we get some fluency with the behavior, then, of course, I start naming that particular behavior come or here, and I'm teaching a recall. And we can go through that same process with any number of behaviors uh, and teach the dog how to respond to those tactile cues. Now, I think the next logical question people would say is, well, why can't you do that with just the leash or can't you do that with just treats? Well, absolutely, of course you can. But I think the question is, how does your technique hold up when the leash comes off? When you want to take your dog off leash, does it hold up or not? And do you wish that you had a technique that will hold up regardless of being on or off leash? Do you want that insurance policy with your dog? So if you're going to go out hiking and you scare up a squirrel or a deer or whatever, you can easily turn the dog around with no drama, uh, no pain, no problem. It's just a tactile cue to bring the dog back to you. And that's where there's such advantage in using remote collars. If you teach initially the skill, you can then utilize those skills and enforce those skills off leash with a remote collar. So, you know, I think a lot of people, that makes sense. <clears throat> you know, with an electronic collar, you can take the leash off, you can communicate with the dog. Are there other benefits to using a remote collar versus other training methods or other tools besides just being able to help you off leash? Oh, well, yeah, I think, you know, I think there's a huge variety of, of um, benefits. And, and that's something, you know, when I first got started, it really was my goal initially, way back around 99, 2000, just to be able to do some off-leash work with my clients' dogs. Um, but what I discovered as I started to delve into it is because there is capability to be so much more subtle. Uh, I can be more subtle with a remote collar than I can with pressure on a leash. I can be very, very subtle in terms of um, body language. So if I have a fearful dog or a dog that's apprehensive about 
me or about strangers in general. I can use this pressure on, pressure off type of hot and cold game to acclimate the dog to trust coming with me or following me much easier. And the nice thing about it is the tactile cue is the same to the dog no matter who's using the collar. So there's no variance with vocal intonation. There's no variance with leash pressure. There's no variance with body language. And all of those things can vary from one handler to the next and create some confusion in a dog. So if I am pushing the button and I'm doing things correctly, the dog learns how to respond to the tactile cue. I hand the remote off to you, and if you know how to push the button correctly, the dog responds equally well to you. You hand the remote off to the next handler who knows how to do it, the dog responds to them. So I think the ability for a dog to generalize the behavior from one handler to next is so dramatically improved by using a remote collar because it just removes all those variables. And if we remove variables, we remove confusion for dogs. And if we remove confusion for dogs that are fearful, submissive, anxiety-ridden, that kind of thing, man, it's just unbelievable how much more, you know, these dogs begin to blossom because the world is not nearly as scary for them anymore. It's as if they go, oh, my gosh, thank you. Somebody now is communicating to me in a language that I can understand and I can navigate the world in a much clearer fashion. It's just it's just remarkable, really, the advantages that we have training with remote callers because of the finesse. That's been really helpful. We've got about a uh, little over a minute before we've got to close the show. Um, I want to give you an opportunity to share with our listeners um, what you have available. You know, I agree with you 100%. Education is critical. Um, can you give our listeners uh, the information? How can they get in touch with you? How can they get your DVDs? And, and you mentioned you might have some new uh, materials. We've got about 60 seconds. Well, they can um, they can always reach me through my personal website, which is robinmacfarland.com. The challenge there is my last name spelled M-A-C, M-A-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-E, robinmacfarland.com. Um, my company here in Dubuque, Iowa is That's My Dog, so they can always find me there. It's that'smydog.com. Uh, I do have a couple of videos that I actually made in 2008, 2009, but I'm also really excited that I have some friends uh, at Gun Dog Supply, which is gundogsupply.com, who have, um, they really took an interest in my work and they produced a five DVD set. It's the most comprehensive work that we have to date. Uh, so that's my dog.com or gundogsupply.com and, um, just do a search for Robin McFarland and they'll find myself. Thanks, Robin. We're out of here. News. Talk. Sports. The Pulse of Arizona, 1100 KFNX, Phoenix.